So I'm live at the Red House with Timothy Roberts, and we're talking about here we are his his drum companies. And so uh, you were just breaking down the different brands. Will you tell? Will you go through those one more time, and so I yeah. can like kind of categorize those in my yeah. head again? So Reverie is custom drums. Timothy Roberts cymbals is handcrafted cymbals, which we can get into what that even is. Um, and then there's stack ring percussion, which is a percussion accessories, and then mod cymbals, which is pretty connected to Timothy Robert symbols because I'm the one that does all the modifications and all the original symbols. All right. So how long have you been doing this? I've had the drum company for six years, uh, the percussion company for four and, and about the same with the symbol companies, about three or four years. Uh, before that I played music, uh, professionally, which sounds like super, uh, intense or legit, but it's <laughs> like you barely make enough to put food on your table every month. Right. And, uh, as a lot of musicians I know understand. Um, uh, so I did that before for uh, about a decade and uh, I just got a little sick of it and wanted to have something that was, that could pay the bills and something I could do during the day and yeah. then I could still play music at night. And I also wanted to be able to choose the music I did play and not be so committed to like whatever came along. I had to say yes. Cause I needed to make rent, you know? So you were, when you started playing music, were you a drummer in these bands yeah, and stuff? Yeah, dr- drummer. And so I did a lot of like s- studio stuff. And then I played a lot in churches. I lived in Charlotte at the time and I would play at churches every Sunday and do little conferences and travel around. And, uh, it was fun. It gave me, uh, it just gave me the opportunity to play. I just wanted to play. Uh, I was intending to be a jazz drummer, a professional jazz drummer, you know, when you're out, when you straight out of college, you don't know the way things work at all. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to Charlotte, North Carolina and be a professional jazz musician. Uh, and I got there and I was like, okay, there's barely any jazz gigs. There's like five guys that have a lock on every gig. Mm-hmm. And there's like a bajillion churches that all need a drummer on a Sunday. So yeah, um, that, that became my path. Yeah. Yeah. So how does somebody just start making drums like what can you what was the process like did it start with the drums yeah it started with drums I'd always wanted to put together a a snare drum uh and I had a uh, teacher or one of the grad students at the school I went to um was he brought in a kit that he made one time and he was like yeah it's actually fairly simple to just buy the parts you know drill the shell put the hardware on and you've made your own drum and it's way cheaper than buying a brand new kit. And I was like, okay. So I stored that away in my brain. And then, uh, I actually, uh, had kind of a big failure moment in my playing career where I got on this gig that was a touring gig and I was out playing and living the dream. And then I got fired after about six months of doing it. So it was like, I was back to square one, not knowing what to do. And the first idea that came in my head was, what if you just built a, built a snare drum and then saw what happened? Mm. Um, and I don't even remember the transition from like ordering the parts to just being like, this is what I'm going to do, whatever it becomes, but like, I'm going to be making drums. Um, and I just did a lot of experimentation. I ruined a lot of shells. I looked up YouTube videos. I found some online forums and just taught myself very slowly, but i put in enough time early on to see growth fairly quick uh yeah and started my company in uh 2015 and yeah it's been a blast it's been like a wild ride ever since then man when Chaz Ray told me about it I 
it immediately clicked in my head. I was like, oh my God, like that's the type of thing. I mean, I know people that build instruments and stuff, but mm-hmm. it never would have occurred to me that there could be a drum manufacturer and a cymbal company in Winston-Salem. Yeah. And it, I just like, it's the coolest thing. It's It's just extremely cool to me that that is going on. Yeah, like, it, it's cool. It's also just way less, to me, it's way less cool than it sounds. Like it has a really <laughs> cool sound to it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And there's just a lot of times where you're just like in a, in the shop for just hours and you just ruin something that you've spent like 10 hours on and then you chuck it and you start over. Like there was just a lot of that. Um, and yeah, there's not, there hasn't been many drum companies in North Carolina, but there, there's been a handful and it's just always tough to sustain because if you're just a drum maker, I mean, there's just umpteen drum makers out there. So you have to distinguish yourself among a crowd of tons of companies and a lot of the companies make drums that are way cheaper because they Mm. get you know they're they're ordering their parts thousands of their lugs at a single time um so i me falling into having the other brands actually has helped me survive i think i you know definitely for a little bit was in survival mode like how am i going to make this work uh but we've kind of come through and we're rolling so i've feel really grateful yeah i'm glad to yeah. hear that man i mean what's i'm it's like I, well first i mean i've looked at like a bunch of your stuff that your drums are just beautiful your cymbals are especially beautiful where like is this like in a warehouse or somewhere like what kind of space do you work in it's in the basement level of my house we my wife and i bought a home right before the world shut down and uh before that I was renting a house and it was a little bit of a weird situation working out of the house and the tenant or the landlords were a little bit weird about it. Uh, and I just knew when we bought a house, it had to be, it had to be so specific in order to have what I needed space wise to, Mm. to actually do it. But we found a house, uh, and bought it like literally in March of 2020. And it was like a week before everything shut down, we moved in, uh, and, so yeah, bottom level of my house, I've got the, my, my whole garage has been gutted and turned into the shop uh, for all of the dusty, dirty stuff. And then I've got a whole other side of it that's for assembly and a little studio there for demos and stuff like that. So Yeah, keeping it at home. Oh yeah, I've, I've wanted for a while, I've had a dream of having a, a shop. Um, I, there's a guy named uh, Bryson Nelson in Nashville, Tennessee, who has Nelson's Drum Shop. And it's this super hip, cool drum shop with brick walls everywhere and he just sells vintage drums and it's like the coolest place ever and, and i've always had a dream of having a place like that in winston mm-hmm. uh winston being such a central location in north carolina as bands are coming through there you, you pretty much drive 40 right through winston if you're going from charlotte to raleigh or whatever so i have i have that dream but just the leap to actually go to leasing a space or buying a space is just it's a very large leap so it's probably we're probably still a few years away mm. from that. I, I could imagine it, though. I mean, that, and that I can imagine yeah. a lot of cool stuff that could be associated with a space like that or what yeah. you could do with it, you know? Yeah, I, I think just trying to make a... For me, I'm I'm trying to get as far away of from, like, a digital life as possible. Like, I'm mm. trying to get more into human-to-human interaction conversations. Uh, all my drums are... You know, people buy my drums pretty much all from what they see on their phone and the demos and that's fine. And that's just where we're at right now. But I would love for there to be a place for people to gather. Um, and I, I have, uh, 
I begrudgingly do all the social media stuff because you have to do it in order to make it work. But the more analog I can make my life, I want, I want to go that route. So even if it's tough to pull together the funds to have a, a physical location that people can visit, I definitely want to go that route eventually. Yeah, I feel that completely. Yeah. Tell me more about the uh, the analog thing. Like, what is it about? It's, it's, I sense a bit of like a a similar frustration, maybe yeah. to my own, with the digital right. <laughs> landscape yeah. we find ourselves in. Yeah, it's I I understand. I think I think our culture is very uh, immediate. Everything has to be immediate, and that's that's like what social media is is like grabbing your attention in a split second. Uh, and it works because it addicts our brain. It makes our brains addicted to uh, that feeling that we get when we have a like or or we have a video pop up immediately, and we we're bored, so we just pull our phone out, you know. And and I think we lose out on a lot of deeper experiences by uh, by having that be our first instinct whenever we're bored. You know, we we don't have to sit and be bored and then create from that space, you know? Yeah. Um, they, I've, I've heard a lot of, I've heard some psychologists talk about in, in the development of children, uh, boredom is like one of the best things for developing a creative mind. Mm. Uh, cause it, it, it forces you to just figure out what you're going to occupy your mental space with. And so you have to come up with something. You have to create a story or, uh, think up a, scenario to play with your little gi joes or whatever and and you create a movie and then you go show your parents the movie you created and but if you have a phone that you can just look at a video it's it's we're un we're making our brains uh more shallow i mm. think man i i really think that's probably true um yeah a few i guess it was earlier this year i had a day where i'm a songwriter you but for those watching you and I are meeting each other today for the first time. Yeah. We've hardly got to talk at all. We've just been getting to know each other. And so anyway, for me, I'm a songwriter, uh, and that's my main interest in music at this point. I used to be a drummer more mm. drummer. Drumming was my like kind of introduction into music and I kind of grew from there, but, uh, I've written a lot of songs and I've slowed down a lot over the last few years or whatever. And I sometimes have these stories in my head about what that is like, Oh, taking my time I'm I've written enough songs I've got too much to record I don't need to write that much earlier this year or last year sometime last year my power went out for like a day and immediately when I found myself bored I started writing songs and I was like oh yeah that is what's wrong with me is like I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's why I don't yeah. write songs because I've always got my mind occupied elsewhere with just like mm. a podcast in the background a show I'm gonna watch later some this or some of that or some job some task I have to get done yeah and I don't allow I'm not giving myself that time to actually just let my mind be curious enough to get creative yeah and I, here's a question for you I um I would imagine that being a song I'm not a songwriter but I used to I used to write poetry a lot actually I had a little like blog that I would post and I, I wouldn't share anything I didn't like tell people about it at all but I just used it as an outlet to you know so but I'm not a songwriter but I would imagine that writing a song do you ever just write songs for yourself or do you find that you feel like you need to if you're going to write a song you need to release it so it's out and people can experience it man that's a good question um i just turned this into my podcast right now hey <laughs> man make yourself at home mikasa isukasa uh i 
it's a hard balance to describe because every song I write, I'm aware of the possibility that it might be shared. Mm. And I, I feel like it, if I'm writing it, I want it to be good enough to be shared. Yeah. Um, but I like to believe that, I mean, and I, and I can say with confidence, like every song I write, it, it's gonna, it's gonna be a little bit esoteric pointed at me. It's going to be a little bit more like, I know what I'm doing with it. Mm. I know what I'm kind of like saying or exploring, and that's not something that's going to be explicit to everybody. So in some way, there's this meaning, there's this like realm that it's in that absolutely just belongs to me. And there's no way for me to even articulate what that is to uh, enough that it could be that much of that same thing to somebody else. But so in that sense, is it more that you, you almost prefer you could just write songs by yourself for yourself or no, I wouldn't say so. Cause yeah. I, I do think like, I don't know. It's the same thing as when, when you have something quality to say in the world, mm-hmm. it's like, it's kind of, it's, it can be almost like an injustice or like a shame yeah. for you to not try not to share it. share it with the it's world. It's like you're withholding it from. Yeah. Yeah. Some would say it's like a, it's like some potential you, you know, some, mm-hmm. some potential you that you need to express and, and let it be judged by the world and see if the world likes it or not. Yeah. So I don't know, that part is necessary for me, but it all, it just also has to be, it has to have that meaningful thing that's just yeah. mine, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I connect with that. I think, uh, with, with what I make, I, I don't consider myself naturally a business man. Mm. Like I think, I think there are people that just have a gift for selling stuff and I don't have any judgment towards that. If you, if that's like something you have a, a, a natural skill towards it's fine. We all know the, how that can go too far and how, when it kind of feels gross, yeah. you know, like the used car salesman kind of vibe. <laughs> um, I think, but for me, it's, I, I want to create something that like touches on a deeper human experience and it's like if it sells fine or if it gets popular fine that's not like the goal of it ever Mm. um and i and i noticed with like my buddies that are really good songwriters it's like they just they create for the sake of creating not for the sake of any kind of um affirmation necessarily like obviously you kind of need you need to be able to make your art sustainable in some form so for me like it's sustainable because i can sell the thing and use the money to live. Yeah. And, and I'm not like, obviously that's a huge part of, uh, of art in general. It kind of has to be uh, maybe like a necessary evil, but, uh, yeah, it's like, I think about it like focus, like what is your, what's your intent and what's your focus with your art or with whatever you make? Is it, you know, there are people that focus on the popularity side of it and, and that's fine. Like I don't have any judgment towards that, but I think there's a deeper expression when you, you're focusing on like the act of creating and seeing what happens and almost like the dangerous nature of not knowing how something's going to turn out and just going for it, which I, I, I can, I have a lot of respect for songwriters cause I feel like you, you kind of have to live in this dangerous mm. space when you're writing a song. Um, I don't know if that's, if that I, rings true or not. I hope it is. I yeah. mean, that that's, what I would, that's the space I would like to live in. Yes. But Mm -hmm. it is so it's, it's such a complicated picture to try to put together. You know, um, I don't know. You think of a song like sitting on top of the world or, or wayfaring stranger, these songs that are written probably 200 years ago. Now, those songs were just passed down from person to person. And what we now have the 
privilege to get to do is just look at those songs and be like, yeah, those those stand the test of time because yeah. they just because they did. The evidence of their ability to stand the test of time is that they did. Yeah. Now and and I and I still I like to look at the past of music and the songs that have been written and assume that there's sort of a a quality that's involved and that 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 justifies the impact that they had and mm. I personally still do believe that about like the six the, the 60s and 70s like yeah. why those songs are still remembered is because they they really spoke to people in that way but but I think coming back to like as as business people now navigate in the world there is a bit of this sort of there i see songwriters who their whole thing is i'm going to involve my reach on social media in creating the appearance that my song is like a huge success yeah, yeah so yeah. i'm going to like ask people as soon as it comes out like stream it stream it and like yeah. guys we did it we got to yeah. do 100,000 streams in a month or something yeah, yeah. and i'm like oh like i can't do that like i just can't do that and you know not to mention the the question of that territory that you're in when you're doing that what is your art is it is it something that you're doing with people to try to like get rewarded with fame yep are you allowed to really reveal complex ideas that challenge people if you're doing that not that you're allowed yeah. to but is that gonna is that gonna feed that outcome if, right. if i came out and said i have a really I have a really controversial idea or something, but the only way I could express it through is through art. Mm. You know, is that the, t is that, is that system of rewarding people with interaction? Is that going to be as possible for something that's like a difficult piece of art to share as it is for yeah. something that's super easy and not dangerous to share? You're kind of, I feel like you're bordering on the conversation of like the, the divide or the difference between what is pop and what is art. Yeah. And like that, that they, they seem to be in different spaces. And I feel like every now and then you have like a crossover where it's both at the same time somehow, like maybe yeah. like Bob Dylan, where there's like a crossover between pop and art happening. Um, but like if something has something, if something has more to say or has a, a heavier message, it's not going to reach the masses, which I, when I say pop, I think I mean like what's popular right. for the masses not necessarily like pop music as a genre you know yeah um and yeah it's like what is uh pop to me is like expedient it's like it's it's immediate it's now it's instant gratification it's whereas art is something you have to invest in mm. like if you're going to go to a museum and look at a painting like you have to take time to go there to sit to look at it to like quiet your mind like you have to invest something of yourself in order to receive anything. You know, I, I could walk by a Michelangelo painting uh, and just like not even look at it and just walk right by it because I'm too distracted, mm. you know, and, and it, it exists there and it's this amazing work of art, but I have to actually engage it first for it to be able to like tell me anything. Yeah. You know? And that's like the tough part about, I think being an artist is it's, being an artist and then also making a living doing at it, doing it is a tough thing. That's the part that's, yeah, that is yeah. tough, man. The, that question that we were kind of just unpacking, like being an artist and being a business person, like mm -hmm. associating art with business. That's, 
That's tricky too. I don't, I'm not embarrassed if I make money off of art. I enjoy right. that. Yeah. And I enjoy when my time is considered valuable right. by people. But that whole thing of like treating people who love your music, like they're customers, like you're trying to get money out of them. Yeah. I have a very hard time with that. Yeah. Totally. But, okay. Wait, wait, customers. Yeah. Analog. That's yeah. what we were talking right. about. Yeah. What, um, I think like, how do you picture what, the alternate, like, what do you think? Get you. You were kind of describing something like the digital world that we're living in. It's like uh, you. You mentioned the word expedient. You mentioned instant gratification. Like you're noticing these things about maybe what this digital space is is doing to us. Um, what do you think is the alternative? Like, what is it that you picture mm. that would be more to your more reflective of your values? I think. Well, one thing about the symbol making thing that I've been getting into for the last few years is it's almost forced me to slow down because um, you'll take a piece of bronze that's like completely flat and looks like a crusty brown potato chip thing and you've got to shape it into a symbol. And so it takes thousands of hammer strokes and you're just sitting at an anvil for hours, like swinging a hammer. Mm. And it's just over to the over the years of doing this, it's it's forced me to slow down and it's forced me to invest something and delayed gratification is like something I've been learning by necessity. If I'm going to make symbols, I have to learn how to like commit to this like completely blank canvas until it becomes something. And so I think for me, it's like about, about investing in something like it doesn't have to be uh, anything in particular, but like what are what are you going to choose to invest your time and your effort into and do that so that you can get something a little bit deeper out of life than just the instant like the red color of a notification and mm-hmm. you know that the immediacy of that like if you want to experience something deeper in life it takes putting something in put investing into something and and giving it a lot of time to see it grow like yeah. i I said it earlier, like it's it having a drum company sounds cool, but it's way less cool in reality <laughs> because so many times I'm just I'm just by myself or like with my employees down in my shop just doing the most grueling work that is so it's so not sexy, mm-hmm. you know. But like obviously, when I post a photo on Instagram, it looks all sexy and like yeah. kind of have to do that, but. Um, I do it begrudgingly, I guess, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's been so rewarding. It's like, it's, it's hard and difficult and challenging and there's tons of failure involved, but at the end of the day, I, there's a rewarding nature to what I get to do that I, is a total gift. Like, yeah. I, I feel like it's honestly, I, I didn't intend, I didn't see this coming, honestly, in terms of like what a gift it would be. Um, and I didn't even feel like I really created it. Like I had a lot of people behind me helping me so it almost felt like it organically became this thing and I'm left going wow look at what I have I can't believe I have this and yeah. I get to do this uh, and I want to like for me it's my attention has been turning to like how can how can I help other people experience this because hmm. it's really cool to be able to have this kind of satisfaction with like what you put your hands to um, yeah and it's like in, for me it maybe it comes down to like embracing failure. Uh, I think that's like a big part of it. Cause my whole process starting this was 
almost like birthed out of this massive failure I had where I got the gig that I thought was the gig and then I got fired from it and was left going like, what do I do with my life now? It was like a total low point. Uh, and I'm looking back at that moment, realizing that that moment was like such a gift. Hmm. I, it didn't feel like a gift. It felt like the worst moment of my life, but it was, it was such a gift. And then realizing that like, wow, every time I've had a, f- anytime I failed at something and then I've picked myself up or, or had like a, even like changed my mind about failure as not seeing it so much as like a roadblock or a bad thing, but almost seeing the opportunity of failure, like what it can provide me moving forward, you know, and, and I don't know, there's a lot there. I kind of went all over the place, but I think it's great though. Yeah. I mean, so when you're the, the experience you would be inspired to give to other people, is it about the, is it about like the, the physical aspect of creating something that you can actually physically touch? Or is it more in that camp, that second part you were talking about, like sort of being able to reorganize what, where we put our effort and like mm. what it means to like fail and succeed and fail and succeed and all that. I think both. Yeah. I think it's, I, there's a part of it that if you're called to do something with your hands, mm. it's awesome. Like I, it, I have, I can say nothing but great things about like just choose to make something with your hands and like the act of putting effort into something and being able to hold it at the end of however many hours of crafting is a great, it's a great feeling. And it's like, it, 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 it made me realize that it was something I never got from being a musician. Hmm. Uh, and I never, I never wrote my own music. I never had my own band per se. I was always like a side man serving other people's music. Uh, but even if I was like a songwriter, I would, I could imagine it's like hard to hold a song, yeah. you know? Um, I guess if you have a CD, you can hold a CD, but, uh, the, the physical act of making a product like I do is, is, is rewarding in one way. But I think overarchingly, it's just, what are you investing your time into and how do you, how do you choose to like, without caring if people care, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Just do it for the sake of doing it. And like, you'll learn something about yourself. Like great art teaches us a lot about ourselves. If we'll let it, you know, it's not just like a painting or a a song or whatever. It says something to us and how we experience it. Yeah. Um, That can be really fulfilling. I think. I mean, a great painting, a great statue. And not only does it show vision and craft, but like it says something about what kind of deep that this is what I think people miss sometimes is like, uh, even with music too, like when you see or hear some somebody do something extraordinary, it's not just that action that is interesting to experience. It's like the knowledge that humans are capable of that. Mm. Humans are capable of like that depth of yeah. that skill or that craft. And like, if you dedicate enough time to it, yeah, you as a exactly. viewer could be capable. It's like I'm of human that. too. I'm I'm human just like the human that made this. Exactly. How did they do that? Like there's something that is all of a sudden I'm connected. Deep devotion, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh I really like that, man. I think that's really cool that uh, I I think it's um really worthwhile thing. I mean, that's honestly where I'm coming from with a lot of I've done over the years a lot of uh songwriter events where I've really tried to 
I almost put out the message sometimes with some things I do, like, hey, everyone in the world, become a songwriter. Like, yeah, you yeah. should you should do it. And I know that that's not everyone's calling. Like, people are going to do other stuff. But I think, uh, I mean, I just, I really identify a lot with this thing you're tapping into that's, like, the importance of other people's tapping into their own creative their own spirit as a creator rather than just as like a recipient of the world around them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I I think too about the, like what you just said, not everybody is called to whatever it is, you know, and, and I'm, I'm getting, I'm starting to try to develop this thought of, would you do certain things if you knew no one would ever see it? Mm. Like just for the sake of doing it, like, could you live a quiet life? without anyone knowing who you are and be satisfied. And the answer that comes pretty quickly is you you start to study like third world countries and the happiness levels in third world countries is like way higher than us in America. Mm. Uh, And it's, and it, so that, so that says to me that, yeah, it's possible, but we have so much work to do as a society to like wrench ourselves from just, social media technology yeah the immediacy of how much how available everything is at all times uh like we obviously people that are dirt poor have a lot of problems in life and we have we have problems as like wealthy privileged people our problems just look differently it's it's we we have the hardest time actually tapping into beauty like real beauty you Mm -hmm. know and and hardest time stilling ourselves to just experience a moment or like look at the trees and like, I, I I'm saying that, but I can't do it Yeah, <laughs> because I got my phone and I'm like always on emails and, you know, Instagram and all that kind of stuff. But I've had those moments where I've stilled myself enough just to like look at the trees and just, and then I'm able to like all of a sudden all these thoughts come up and those thoughts lead in certain places I wasn't expecting. And all of a sudden I'm thinking about, like a new idea for a product or like a new thing I could try with the symbols. And, and then all of a sudden it's like creativity is happening just because I sort of embraced a, a embraced boredom for a moment. And yeah. Is that something you're going to like, are you trying to like bring that into your life more? Yeah. yeah, Completely. Yeah. And like I said earlier, like the, uh, the symbol making thing has given me co- context has given me like a, uh, a pursuit where I can embrace that a little bit Mm. because it's just so monotonous. And so like if it's not, it feels like the same thing for hours, but you're constantly reacting to the material and you just don't have time or energy to think about anything, but just be in the moment present with this piece of metal as that you're trying to shape. Yeah. Uh, And so it it stills your mind. And um, I also just love taking long showers because I, you can't, like scroll your phone in a long shower. You're just sitting there like cleaning yourself. And then all of a sudden I just find myself thinking and my thoughts go in places and I start having ideas. And, and so I've, I've learned to embrace certain moments and realize like what the gift that they are and knowing that like, okay, I get out of the shower, I get dressed and then I got to go sit at my computer and type out emails, you know? Yeah. Um, and becoming like regimented almost in a way to where really like set aside that time for, embracing those moments where I go a little deeper than just the surface level mundane. Yeah. I love that. Um, as you're, you know, as I got to thinking about it, 
<clears throat> so I got I, I worked downtown uh, for a year for a couple years. I, I and when I got laid off from when COVID happened, I ended up finding myself uh, with a, a, a job with a log cabin company where mm. we just were building log cabins. And it it too is something that sounds much more romantic than it yeah. was. And yeah. It was grueling hard work, I bet. It yeah. was grueling yeah. and dangerous and yeah. like rough, you know. Um it was like toward the end of it when I really started to accept that I was like risking my hands too much yeah. as a guitar player and as a drummer and stuff. Right. You know, that's when I, I finally reached a point where I said I think this is just too risky or whatever. Yeah. But I wrote a lot of songs when I was doing that job and oddly, like when I've had it, when I've had easier jobs, easier on my body and more demanding on my mind and less of the, less of the physical monotonous demand and more of the mental kind of uh, constant demand. I write way less words. And, and when I had that job, the only, I mean, one of the, one of the main good things I can say about it is that I, I would come home tired and I would write songs like it just yeah. the the stuff was there. And I think it was because not only was I exercising my body a lot, you know, yeah, all day long, but Which I was clears uh, your mind in a way. Exactly. That's, yeah, exactly. But also had that time you were talking about to be monotonous and to like yeah. just do the same thing over and over and over and let your mind kind of, you know, it's almost like you're. It, it's almost like you can dream while you're awake, you know, dream yeah. while you function. It's just, do you, do you know the poet street. Wendell Berry by chance? I don't think you should check him out. He is, uh, he's a, I don't know if he's still alive. He might, he might've passed by now, but he's a farmer, I think in West Virginia, maybe, but like all he does or did with his life was farm and write poetry. And mm. like, he would sit at the same desk every single day looking at the same image of the outdoors of his farm and writing poetry. Yeah. And just the stuff that he writes is, I mean, I would recommend anyone check out his stuff. I will check him out yeah. for sure. And so should you guys. Yes, please do. <laughs> you guys hiding in the microphone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something about uh, being able, like being able to pull back and like quiet yourself. That is just so, so beneficial for like a healthy balanced life yeah man it's um, necessary yeah yeah man so i don't know where this is gonna go yeah but we're gonna talk about some stuff let's just dive in let's dive in <laughs> you said something as we were kind of just getting introduced to each other that i thought also might be a fun jump off point for to see where this would go yeah uh we both i, I get the impression we both have a different relationship now with religion as a subject than we did when we were young kids. Yes. So yeah. What was your experience? Yeah. So I'll be quick to say, like, I don't, um, I don't feel like I'm anti what I came from. Yeah. I think there have been seasons where I was anti and felt a little bit more like fight, fight the power, angry about my experiences. And I've come to a place of just like appreciating it a lot more. But almost as we all have to do, we grow up in a culture and we're we kind of we ob we're great observers. Kids are amazing observers. So you look around at what you see and you think, OK, this is the way the world is. But you don't realize until you get older, maybe you move out of your house, go to college, do whatever, that like the world's a big place. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of ideas and there's a lot of cultures and there's a lot of places 
and you start to get opened up to new ideas that you were never aware of as a kid. And um, so I grew up in like a, a pretty charismatic evangelical church. Uh, my dad was the worship pastor there for 24 or 25 years. My uncle is still the pastor there. Um, that's where I learned how to play drums. Like I, I got to play at like 11 years old. I got to be on the stage playing. Mm. I'm sure I was terrible, but my dad put me up there and was like, I'm going to give my kid like <laughs> some experience a much needed experience. Um, yeah. And I, I, I over, uh, I guess after I uh, graduated college and I moved to Charlotte and I started playing in churches again, I was kind of in the same culture, uh, again, uh, I started traveling with this artist who started introducing me to people like Wendell Berry. And it was like, I started to see like a deeper, uh, like it was, it was like a different side of spirituality that I I wasn't aware of. Mm. Um, and it caused me to kind of look at what I came from and realize, Oh, I, maybe I'm not, maybe this isn't who I am. Maybe there's something else that I'm more interested in. Um, and like I still play at churches all the time, but I, I, I think for me, um, in, in like the worldwide church, there's so many fractions of Christianity and so many denominations and different expressions of what it is. Um, and I think I'm in a place where I'm just trying to balance different truths and like stand in the middle almost between and like not be fundamentalist on honestly about anything. Like I, fundamentalism to me is not just reserved for fundamentalist Baptist Christians like mm. fundamentalism is a ideology that can exist anywhere you know it can exist in music and it can it can exist in atheism in Buddhism it can be anywhere and so it's it's just this idea this rigid idea that the world is one way um, and so I'm trying to learn how to hold truths in balance and tension almost uh, and it's it has me a little bit less quick to say, I think this and like put my like really plant my flag. It's like, this is the way the world works and how everyone should experience the world and more almost observant. Yeah. I know? like that. I like that. Uh, yeah. I, I too am, am someone who I see fundamentalism everywhere. I think I mm-hmm. phrase it slightly differently. I think, I think, I think there, and maybe, maybe you would agree with this. I don't think fundamentalism is the ideology. I think every ideology can be adhered to by fundamentalists or whatever. Like mm. there are fundamentalists yes, yeah. in every ideology. Yeah. But I mean, maybe I'm wrong. If it, if you think that, were you saying that fundamentalism itself is what ideology is or, or yeah. the, what the ideology is? Uh, that's uh, Yeah. That's, it makes me think of, um, I think it's a, something Carl Jung said that, ideas don't have people or no people don't have ideas ideas have people right <laughs> uh, yeah which i have found to be true like you know it, it's true in politics it's true in it's in yeah culture it's true in any everything you know it's like we we can be taken by an idea and an idea that's just rigid and solid and it can't move or change or shift uh and it's a protection mechanism. Like when, when fundamentalism is a way to protect yourself because you're able to wall off your experience of life and say, this is how everything works. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're able to kind of fend off different ideas and it, it, it doesn't have to challenge you. You can kind of rest and relax a little bit and be like, I know how the world works. And it's a more of a dangerous thing to approach uncertainty 
um, which I mean, I say this, I sound like I'm not a Christian, but I I consider myself a Christian, you know, like I, I, I actually read the Bible and like I, I read about Jesus, read what he said. I try to incorporate that into my life and I try to treat people the way he treated people, you know, and that matters to me a lot. But I think to me, it's about like, I, I love America. I love, um, in a, I mean, in a sense, I, I love capitalism because I'm able to make a living doing what I love to do. So, so I'll say that as a caveat, but um, I think that the American mentality has been connected to the church and connected to Christianity in a way that has kind of morphed it into something that it it isn't. You mm. know, like you can't take capitalism and mesh it with Christianity and expect it to stay Christianity, <laughs> to, hmm. to my mind. Like, you know... Um, I played in a lot of churches when I was in Charlotte. I saw a lot of different expressions of, of, you know, Christianity, the Baptist, Presbyterian, you know, all, all of it. And, you know, you've got, and I, and I have grace for this. I mean, I think I understand like a pastor has to keep the lights on and a pastor has to keep attendance up and they have to make sure the tithe dollars are coming in so they can pay the staff and they can pay for the lights and the stage and the musicians and all that so there's very real, there's just realities associated with running a business, you know? Uh, but then all of a sudden it's just very difficult for that not to seep into the theology and to morph it. And all of a sudden you have this phenomena of rock star pastors, Mm -hmm. you know, and that pastors selling their newest book and going on tour and they're part of writing the music for the team and, and they're making, you know, they got all their revenue streams from their, and it's just American Christianity. It's not, it doesn't feel it feels like it lacks something and it, and it feels kind of like a dangerous territory to take like the message of Jesus, you know? Yeah. I mean, man, when you put it that way, that's like the problem with, with most ideologies that are most prominent in the, in the country right now. It's just that all of them have seeds. They come of something that means to be used for good. They all come Mm -hmm. from some kind of place. They all represent something that's useful, I guess is the point. And like something that's worth knowing, but yeah. when what when for some reason, I mean, it's we're not the first. Really, we've had a very long history, I suppose, of people organizing around ideas way too much and way mm-hmm. too with too much rigidity. Yeah, you know, so it's not anything brand new, but now there's so many different ideas that people are organizing around. I think compared to, I don't know, back when. For now, society is going to be all Puritan, and then yeah, next yeah. society is going to be all this. You know, yeah. Like, society <laughs> tends to swing yeah. in a way like we have. I, I would say like, you know, you had like the hippie movement in the '60s, right? And it was like this reaction against the rigidity of of like the the system that was that came before that. Yeah. And then nowadays, you have this segment of the culture that's almost swinging towards swinging back towards like something more solid and rigid. And you have like a lot of young people that if they haven't outright rejected the church, they're going to these like super uh, liturgical, like yeah, kind of, exp- they're sitting in a pew and they're just loving it yeah, because it's so not what they came. They're, they're reacting against what they came from. That was yeah. that hurtful. That's so spot on. I you mean, know? like, yeah. It, I, and I'm, and I'm sure there's always look, you know, we probably see uh we probably see some kind of 
condensed version of the past. I mean, my, my buddy, Steve Wisniewski, do you know him? The he's, name sounds familiar. He's a guitar builder. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. 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 He's old hippie. Cool guy. Nice. Uh, you know, he, he's often dropping bombs of knowledge on me. Sort of like you think, you know, you know, people think that the fifties were like this, but really this was going on or something. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, that's not the perception I have. Cause we perceive it based on maybe what was most prominent. And right yeah. now, there's a lot of fractioning. There's a, there's a lot of fractioning. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of like people doing different things. And like you said, it's like uh, a lot of the time, it's people reacting to the thing that maybe is well, where they're not ba- where their life has lacked balance. Yeah, you know, previously or where they were hurt. I think yeah. people react out of a place of where they were hurt. Yeah, and try to run from it. Um, and there's definitely you know wisdom in running from the thing that hurts you. Obviously, mm. I'm not saying like. It can help you out. It can be it can be good to get out of bad situations. <laughs> yeah, obviously, you know. But um, I yeah, I, I tend to think too. Like we ha- we have this idea that we're as a society progressing, and and that like we can never be like we were back right. in the day. But like I tend to think of things in terms of like it's not a church problem or a world problem or a pop problem it's a human problem so like whether it's in the church or if it's in the you know the christians say the world right like it's separate or whatever but like wherever it is it's always based in the same kind of like human struggle that we all have you know so i i know a lot of buddies a lot of my buddies who who just have outright rejected the church they're like i'm done with this and i understand where they're coming from you know uh and then you know, but but what I also see is that like wherever you're running to, if you're like running away from this towards something, like you got to be careful not to just ex- experience the same thing wherever you're running to. You know. Yeah, that bring. I mean, well, I guess now would be that'd be a great reason for me to, since you've shared your story, I guess yeah, I should yeah. do the same. Please. Um. Yeah, man. I. I guess the way I see it, I mean, I I came from a much more traditional church background, mm-hmm. like no drums allowed in church, yeah, which was yeah. devastating to me. As a kid. <laughs> yeah. My dad had played when I was a kid. And then like once I was old enough, they wouldn't let drums in the church anymore. And I was just like, that is so not cool. <laughs> no, that's like yeah. my go. That's like my destiny. Right. And, yeah. you're, and you're holding it away from me. Um, anyway, by the time, you know, in my teenage years, by my in my teenage years, I was like super not given to how traditional it all was. Yeah. And like, I wanted to have complex conversations about it all. Like, yeah. like, Hey, if we found aliens, would that mean there's no right. Jesus? Like right. what is, you know, things <laughs> yeah. like that. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I didn't like church. I hated going to church. It was not like a more modern one or like one that had a worship band or anything. So anyway, I get into my twenties go hard atheist. Uh, I, I, it took me a very long time. Like I got Mm. obsessed with just almost every day watching like two hour, three hour, Mm. uh, Christian debates with like Christopher Hitchens or Sam Harris or people like that. Totally. And it took me a long, long time. And finally, uh, gave, gave up. uh, Well, I just stepped outside of Christianity for like a day to see what would happen. And then I just, couldn't go back into it. I just lost the ability to see it as a truth. Yeah. And so then I became, I I saw myself then as like uh, slowly becoming a hardcore materialist where all things 
romantic and spiritual, I pretty much kind of turned my nose up at and said, like, there's no, there is no spirituality. There is yeah. no destiny. There's no, there's no grounds for poetry, really. There's yeah. no grounds for anything other than just objective material. Right. And after some time with that, it really became very bleak feeling mm -hmm. and stuff. And I think that's where I started to feel yeah. a bit of despair and where that kind of created room for, uh, for whatever. I'm just, I'm going to start being more candid about this. So like we have, we've already acknowledged between the two of us that we, we are interested in, uh, some of what, uh, Jordan Peterson has to say on this subject. Yeah. And it was really his influence on me post Hitchens because Hitchens was like, Hitchens is one of my heroes, but yeah. um, I found this like lacking feeling from this whole experience, and and I felt I felt I felt betrayed by Christianity in that maybe betrayed by f family or or like um, group affiliation mm. or something like that. But yeah. basically, I felt like people who like me tricked me into believing something that isn't true. Mm. So then I found myself deep in the atheism, found myself in like far leftist thinking until I started noticing the same thing happened there. Like mm. friends of mine encouraging me in my demonstration of saying things that weren't true. And it yeah. all came down to like, if I say untrue stuff, yeah. I get rewarded for it by one group or another. And it's driving me crazy. I don't want to yeah. say untrue stuff. Right. So I started to try to pursue something where I didn't have to say untrue stuff anymore yeah. and then yeah then all of a sudden in came jordan peterson with all this stuff about yeah how to re-understand truth from a from a pragmatist perspective right he gave me kind of a i feel like he gave me sort of like some ground to stand on because i came from a very expressive uh, expressive faith that was like very emotional mm. um I won't, I wouldn't say that about my uncle and my dad and like how they taught. Cause like they, they taught as my dad, he would, he obviously like taught, spoke into my life a lot, but like the church itself and like what was taught on a Sunday morning, like it felt weighted towards like this very emotional experience of the world and how you're supposed to like tap into, um, this spirit that's going to tell you exactly how to like heal a person or exactly how to like tell them exactly what they experienced in life. So they have this like come to Jesus, literal come to Jesus moment. You yeah. Know? Um, and then coming out of that, it was like, I just was desperate for something that felt more solid. Like it, it didn't feel so like shaky ground. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Jordan Peterson, like his, his, his stuff that he talks about with like, um, like meaning and searching for meaning and doing the hard thing that, that leads to, having meaning in your life. Like I, I really connected with that element, that aspect of like what he talks about. And it helped me sort of like, it helped kind of like point me in a direction that, uh, that now I feel like I'm able to sort of like hold different truths at the same time. And then like, I'm always checking myself to make sure I'm not going too far down a path. Like I don't want to ever become fundamentalist about anything. Yeah. I want to be able to see the beauty in, different ideas. Yeah. I want to see the beauty in different cultures, the beauty in different kinds of people, uh, and always take the mentality like that. I can learn anything in a conversation with anyone. Yeah. You know, and like, cause that kind of fundamentalist idea, it leads to 
looking at things in like a hierarchical way to where you look at the people beneath you in status and you just kind of like shirk them off and go, well, they've got nothing to teach me because obviously they've made terrible choices in life. Mm. So like, you know, bump them. Yep. I'd rather look at the person who's like successful, you know, but like I, one of the, this is kind of maybe a tangent, but like one thing, like I've met people that have this outward appearance of success. And I know people who are like quote unquote successful. And like, there's just this disturbing trend of like depression in people that are quote unquote successful. Yeah. Um, and it really like, it, it like really opened my eyes to see people that like everybody is singing their praises. Like, Oh my gosh, can you believe this person? Like what they've done? They're amazing. And then to get to the know them as a person and just to see like the deep anguish that was there, it was like, it, it just showed me that like, that's not the goal. Success is not, it, it, I guess it comes down to what, how you define success. Like, if success means people really liking you and you being popular, I, it, to me it feels like you're just setting yourself up for depression and depravity. Yeah. Uh, and so there's got to be something deeper than just this like very surface level kind of like, because the people that, you know, the, the masses, the thousands of people that follow me, they don't care about me. You know what I mean? Like, I could like drift away and then, and no one would really know. But like you look at that number and you go, Oh wow, that's so impressive. Just to realize how fragile that is. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not something solid to stand on, you know? And I, I know I have some buddies that, that were popular and then they're like in their forties or fifties now. And they're like struggling to maintain mm. what they were. And I, and I imagine for like creativity, the, and I guess I experienced this a little bit. Like if I make a symbol that I, that sounds really good, I start a new symbol and I'm trying to make it sound like that one rather than mm. like giving that piece of material, that canvas, what it wants. I'm, I'm looking back. And so then I'm, I miss it. I just like, I can't recreate that magic that happened. Um, and that's the danger of success in like a, in that Man. sense is like, you're, you're just, drawn to look back and then you can't catch like the spirit you know what i mean like the you can't catch the inspiration that's like new i uh, love that analogy man yeah. about the symbol and i i still i mean i still struggle with that this week i'm trying to recreate a symbol i made because a customer wants a, a certain symbol that i already sold so i'm like i'm in there like trying to recreate it and realizing how much like that other one that I made, I wasn't in any kind of state of trying to do anything. I was just like creating, like, yeah. what can I do with this piece of metal? And like, I was trying something brand new that I had never done before. And so like to tap into that same mentality, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm finding like, okay, this is, I got to do something different to achieve this and, and to land the stick, the landing, you know? I love that, man. I mean, yeah. just the idea of like, ignite, like being present enough with whatever. I mean, cause that's such a, that's a very interesting thing that you could really you could plug into all of life, like being present with the net, the the true potential of the canvas, if yeah. you will, of of whatever it is, the circumstance that you're working within in that moment, and not trying to make it be something else. Uh, I yeah. just I love and I love the word. I love that that happened to be uh, 
I love that it happened to be a symbol, which is like mm. a word of its own for yeah. for right? you know, yeah, yeah. Like a really poetic, meaningful word for that. Also analogy. a frustrating thing when, when you're trying to type the word symbol, like crash symbol, and <laughs> yeah. it always auto corrects to the other one. Yeah, I bet that does. Yeah, right. Every symbol smith, if any symbol smith is listening right now, they know that struggle. They know the pain. <laughs> one thing I wanna acknowledge since we since we kind of opened this up is like I don't know about you, but I personally, uh, in my community, always kind of, <sighs> when when I talk about, like, when we brought up Peterson or whatever, mm-hmm. I think I just want to acknowledge that I think when you and I are talking about it, we're talking about the, the, the found, like, the ultimate outcome of what it is that his message, like, evokes in people right. or yeah. inspires in people, which I think is... Indeed, individualism, which is something that I talk about a lot on this yeah. podcast. Yeah. And I, I just I know from hearing him talk that he has this really profoundly like this, this really huge focus on individuality, which is which I discovered him just as I was discovering what I thought was the divide between individuality and ideology. Mm, so yeah. he just like it really clicked yeah. right at the right time for me. And it made a lot of sense. But in my community, I think when I like just doing this, just us talking about it, I feel like people it could give people this impression like that. Yeah. It says something negative about maybe us. Right. Talking about this. Right. And I don't know. Is that something you've had to navigate? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I purposefully stay away from anything that borders politics. Or, or like hot button issues. Cause I, I, th- I think of that as like an extension of pop in a sense. Like we're like, we're constantly in a place where people where the, the, the powers that be are trying to make people hate each other. Mm. And so like, I, I'm very intentional to like stay away from hot button issues. Um, and I know that like, a lot of people that a lot of my close friends think Jordan Peterson is really problematic yeah, and things he says is really problematic. And I respect that, (laughs) you know, and like there are some things that he says I don't agree with. Yeah. There's actually quite a few things I don't agree with, with Jordan Peterson. But for me, it's like I'm searching for truth. And so I want to be able to, I want to be the kind of person that can find truth anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so if that's in someone that's like Jordan Peterson or someone that's like a far left, consider, considers himself far left, or even someone that's like right leaning, like if they have something to say that rings true, like, okay, like I'm, I want to be kind of like a sponge in that way, almost able to like pick up. And I, I also want to, I guess with what I say in the life that I live, I don't want to be the kind of person that people think about and they think about like my rigid ideas that I have, mm-hmm. you know, like I, here's something that maybe this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but like, uh, individualism and kind of, uh, one interesting topic, maybe we could dive into a little bit is individualism and collective and the collective. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I, I talk with my brother a lot cause him and I disagree on a lot of stuff, but we actually like fundamentally agree on a lot. We just think the, the answer is different, you know? Um, and so I, I find that like, to, you know, I don't know if he would listen to this, but like, I, I connect a lot with what he says, even though like we disagree on some things. He, you're talking about your, your brother, my brother. Yeah. yeah. 
he uh, he focuses a lot on the collective, and I kind of tend to focus on the individual, mm-hmm. and we think about things in that way, and like it it becomes kind of an argument of what came first, like the chicken or the egg. Like, is it the collective? Is it the individual? And I, I guess I kind of tend towards thinking that like the you know starting with the individual, starting with like what you choose to do with your life, mm. how you choose to see the world, how you choose to treat people, the kind of person you you become, that allows you to I- engage the collective in a meaningful way, you know. And like I think it, I, I don't like the the. I don't like the divide between like talking about individualism versus the collective because I don't see them as different. I I see them kind of as one and the same. And I see them as like, you know, we start with ourselves and like, if we are full of pride or we're full of anger, we cannot like have the, we we're blinded to see the need in someone else. And like, we're, we're not able to like see where we could be be loving to someone that needs it Hmm. so it's like if for us to deal with our own pride to deal with our own anger to deal with our own bitterness allows us to like take an outward approach to the world and actually solve problems that exist on a collective uh page and so like yeah i'm just not interested in talking about like you know what should the government do to deal with the this topic. Cause I, I like, what am I going to, how am I going to change that? You know what I mean? Like I have to start really small and yeah. I can in my own family, like I, I start with myself and my wife. That's what matters to me first. That's like the foundational. And then we have a good relationship so that that gives me capacity to like reach out and love on friends and like be there for the friend that's struggling or like, we had someone pass the church that I play at. We had someone pass away from COVID like a couple of weeks ago. And just like to be able to like see with compa- eyes with compassion, like have eyes of compassion for this terrible situation. And, you know, I just think that the more we're focused on like our ideas about politics or I, our ideas about what should they do? You know, we, we like just totally miss out on, actually being able to be uh, effective in, in implementing change in, in the world on a collective uh, level, I guess. Yeah, man. Yeah. So. I, I like this subject. Um, I just don't know even where to start. It's so massive. It's you know? a big one. Yeah. Like my concern, my, my focus as it relates to ideology is something like, ideology is how we how we learn to belong to a collective mm-hmm. and so when some i i have another big issue it's it's like a trilogy of issues it's um individual individuality ideology and identity mm. and i think what i noticed was i it's kind of like that union stuff with with archetypes and stuff it's like I would be like, well, I'm a Christian and Christians do this. So mm. that's what I do. And then I'd be like, well, I gave that up. And now I'm now I'm an atheist and a materialist. And this mm. is what they do. So that's what I do now. Yeah. I noticed that every time I had some kind of identity that I described myself with, I let it inform how I acted. 
Mm, yeah, yeah. And I, and I did that with liberalism too. And, and, you know, so then I started, I finally just said, I drew a line in the sand. I can't do that anymore. Like right. I'm not being a me period. The only time I feel like I'm being a me is arguably when I'm making music and stuff. And yeah. even then I notice sometimes a temptation to act like a musician. Yeah. Like, right. To wear this like kind of clothes. Aloof, yeah. A little bit like, uh, like know. I'm cool. <laughs> right. I'm like I smoke cigarettes. <laughs> right. And, right. You know, like be that identity. So I started with trying to avoid identity. It eventually came to ideology. And then it was like a brutal look at individuality. Like, yeah. It, like finally starting to do therapy and like yeah. learn about myself and invest in, you know, like myself. And so for me, the whole idea of a collective is that just like whatever, just like a brick wall, just like a log cabin, just like whatever. Yes. The, the, it, it's a, it's a undeniable fact that the end result of the collective exists like that it's all there just like the yeah. rest of the outside world is out there, but it is still made up of individuals and mm -hmm. it, the quality of that collective is dictated by the quality of those individuals. Mm, yeah. And if it's full of corrupt, awful individuals like the, yeah. like the, the Soviet union was, or like yeah. the, like Nazi Germany was, if it's full of, people who have their in they, they have surrendered their individuality to a bad idea right. then it is a corrupt collective yeah. and if it's made up of the absolute best highest character highest quality individuals it will be a better system of organization it'll be a better yeah. collective and so yeah. for that reason i think where i fall on that is is not to deny the importance of collective actions mm. but to to point out that those actions are going to be a lot better if we have a culture that's committed to individuals having the, the absolute best character they possibly yeah, can. Totally. Yeah. I, I understand the, the, the importance of talking about the collective. Yeah. It's like a, where do you order it? How do you order it? Right. What comes first, you know? And, and I think that any ideology that has people pointing the finger, like, and I'm not saying that like we shouldn't call out hypocrisy and evil when we see it. Cause that's like hugely important, but yeah. any ideology that like points the finger over encouraging action, it, it misses something. Not that it's wrong hundred percent or that it's right. It, it misses something, you know? So like I think about, I mean, I think about the capacity for me to just be a bad person. Like, mm -hmm. like I'm very capable of being a bad person. Yeah. I'm, I'm capable of being hateful I'm capable of being selfish and prideful and angry. And uh, I'm capable of being like a cut, cut your throat to get ahead kind of person and backstabbing and talking about people behind their backs. I'm capable of all that. And the acknowledgement and the recognition of like of that in me can help me strive for something that's not that, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and like you, brought up Nazi Germany like there was probably a lot of well-meaning people that like found themselves supporting the Nazi regime yep it's like how did that happen and our modern culture is just like well they were just evil exactly but that's yeah. that's too that's too shallow too simple it's way too simple because like you're gonna you're gonna say that every single person that did that 
was like to their core evil. Like they weren't at one point a human, you know? Right. And and that's a dangerous thing to say. I, I, I don't know if that's like, you know, going to get me in any hot water, but I just think about like, you know, in order to be good people and to love others and to care for the oppressed, like we have to see just how oppressive we can be and how, you know, all, all the things I said before, it's, it's, that's something that like strive that, that like drives me is like the only reason I talk about all the stuff with social media and the immediacy and like trying to strive for something deeper is because I have spent long seasons of my life, like a zombie, just, I've spent like depressed seasons of my life, just any free moment I had watching a TV show. Yeah. Like just trying, I'm like, literally I was, you know, looking back, I I was literally trying to waste away my life because I didn't want to live it. Mm. I didn't want to actually experience it. I wanted to just hide in like the latest Netflix show. Um, so I know, like I say all that stuff because like I am that, like I, I'm, I'm striving to not, I'm, I'm striving to come out of that and to be a good person, you know, whatever that means. And you know, someone that can actually like inspire others. Like I, you had Chaz Ray on this podcast yeah. and like, I think about people in my life that have been incredibly encouraging to me. And I said earlier, like, I don't feel like it's something I, my businesses are something I built because there were so many people that supported me. Like Chaz Ray is one of the guys, like he's the guy outside of my own dad, my own family that when he heard I was making drums, like he was a hundred percent in. Like Mm. he was like, make me a kit. And then anything I've done, he's been like, and so I look at him, like I really respect him. I almost like strive to be like him in that way because he is an unbelievable talent on the drums. If you've ever heard him play, like he, you know, he could be a household name in the drumming community and he focuses his energy, not on promoting himself. Yeah. You know, he focuses his energy on like lifting up other people and like choosing to be a side person for like a lot of bands in this area. And like, yeah, so I see people like Chaz Ray uh, and that really inspires me that like that to me seems like, okay, this is something that has value. Like this way of being has value. Um, And, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm trying to become that. I don't think I am that I'm trying to become that. And I think that's. Like individualism is not, I think also our culture is so, uh, intent on glorifying youth and like, you know, you're, you're supposed to be successful immediately and you've got TikTok stars that are like 17 and have, you know, uh, billions of views or whatever. I don't know what, how many views (laughs) that maybe it's billions, you know, uh, and they're making millions of dollars a year and they're famous, you know, and it's like, what happens when that 17 year old is 40? Like, how are they going to live a fulfilling life? You know what I mean? Like, unless they reinvent themselves to become something new or they're going to live their whole life looking back on when they were famous as a TikTok star. Like, what kind of life is that? Yeah, man. I've been like kind of pondering that as like a, you know, early 30s artist Mm -hmm. who uh, honestly, I really do fight feelings sometimes of just like. It's just too late. Like these days, thirty-year-olds mm. don't make like no that that there's no room for thirty-year-olds, especially because 
you know, especially right now, like the culture of music is so different. And so yeah. much of it is just like, you know, you download some MIDI tracks offline and yeah. you record your own lyrics to it. And then you put it on SoundCloud or you do this stuff on TikTok or whatever. Everything's so different now uh, that a, a 30 year old, you know, songwriter is kind of like old hat. You know, yeah. I feel that sometimes. Yeah. And in my heart, I don't believe it's true. And I when I go play shows, I see that it isn't true. Yeah. But psychologically, it's kind of hard to fight that sometimes. Do you think it's because um, I was having a conversation with my buddy about this the other day? Like we were talking about how one time I went to see this Eagles tribute band with my dad and. You know, Eagles are like my dad's favorite group, mm. or one of my dad's favorite groups. And I'm looking around at the crowd, and there's a really good Eagles tribute band. I wish I could remember the name of them. but Seagulls? Maybe Seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great name for uh, Eagles tribute band, if not if it isn't already taken. Um, but I was looking around the crowd, and I and it was like 95% was lo- like looked just like my dad. Yeah. You know, like dad's age, you know. And I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, like, and however many decades, like, you're going to have like a Billie Eilish tribute band and it's going to be all these 60 year olds like singing the songs of Billie Eilish (laughs) and how like, I don't know how that connects, but just that, uh, how you, you know, it's something about this time of your life, like your twenties, like I'm in my early thirties too, but like your, your early twenties is when you define yourself as a human. Yeah. And so it makes sense that like societally we, we almost glorify that season of a person's life. Yeah. Uh, and we all, we like constantly look back, but other cultures around the world, you know, like they, it's the exact reverse. Like if you're a True. young person, like you are sitting around the, the, the campfire, like listening to the elder talk. Right. And your respect and reverence is for the elder. Um, and I would prefer to live in a, you know, society that was like that. Oh, I totally hear yeah. that, man. But yeah. yeah, it's, I don't know. It's weird, but oh no, I had a thought. What was it? <laughs> it's. Um, oh no, I had something relevant. What was it? I think I've lost it. It was the seagulls. The seagulls thing threw you off. (laughs) Seagulls. I did. For a second, I thought a beagles would be a better name. (laughs) You know, side B. Oh man. Um, It's awesome. Well, I might've lost my thought. Damn. What were you just talking about? I hate it when this happens. Oh, uh, society's, uh, emphasis on youth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to hear that. Man, yeah, so I saw an article go around from American Songwriter. I think mm. it was this week, maybe last week, but it was like I I think part of the part of the reinforcement of that idea I was just expressing about like feeling like or have windows closed now, have mm. doors have doors permanently shut. Uh a big part of that too is nostalgia. A big part yeah. of that is sort of like this there's this thing that seems to be post COVID where a, a new need for nostalgia exists. Yeah. And apparently it is being expressed in the success of music. Apparently if I remember, if I read the article correctly and remember it, I believe it said that for the first time since streaming has existed, old music from like the eighties or prior uh, outperformed new music on wow. like Spotify during wow. during the pandemic and stuff. Uh, That's it, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. That's really fascinating. Yeah, first time ever since streaming, and you know, 
that's interesting. And I think they, they further contextualize that by kind of looking at album sales and talking about record sales, I think now have officially surpassed CD sales mm -hmm. as a, as a primary medium that isn't digital streaming. Like interesting. Yeah. There's these new uh, trends over the last two years that are starting to really reveal that this is not a figment of people's imagination. Right. Like what we're seeing in the podcast world and the music world and the movie world, this, this like surge of nostalgia is yeah. actually being, I think driven by demand rather than by, you know, yeah. like uh, whatever the opposite of demand is. Honestly, <laughs> like the, the, I mean the trend of people listening to three hour long podcasts. Yeah. I mean like that is, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a consumer of that market. Like just listening to podcasts that are like, hours long mm -hmm. and, I, and it's great it's great to do as i'm doing little mindless work like it's but it, but it, it does indicate hopefully something good in that we are as a culture starting to reject um just the instant gratification and we're actually like engaging something that like requires investment of on our part you know i mean i think we're starved for it you know yeah. like entertainment for yeah. so long has been either and songs have shrunk, you know, like yeah. they're constantly doing this, like a new genre will come up and blow up and songs will be 10 minutes long. Yeah. And then like, as soon as it's commodified, the songs are three minutes long. Now. Yeah. And what's well, so a three, three minute and 20 second is yeah. like the radio yep. edit. And then TV yeah. shows, you know, uh, you know, the, the TV, it's funny. We had this, we subscribed for so long to this cable system of like, our show that we like is going to be on for like 20 minutes and there'll be commercials in between. Yep. And then we get Netflix and we can watch our show for like eight hours at a time. <laughs> yeah. And we do yeah. it. It's, yeah. it's crazy. And we, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but like my wife and I will sit down and be like, you want to watch a movie? And then we're like, ah, we don't really want to commit to a movie. And then we watch six hours <laughs> of a show. Yeah. <laughs> we were like tricking ourselves into thinking like, yeah, it's just 20 minute episodes, you yeah. know, like, it's less commitment on our part. Let's do 14 of them. Yeah, let's do yeah. 14 30-minute episodes. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, I, I think it, it does bode well. I mean, what you're saying about that podcast, just like I, I, I do think we're starved for, for a lot of things. I mean, I, uh, I go to this uh, Muay Thai gym in do you really? Eight Points in, in Winston, huh. and I haven't been able to like really invest in it like I want to just because of the, like, the physical demands of making symbols kind of is like my workout, I guess. But, um, I watch like people there. I mean, they're so hungry and they find like a community and a family at that place and they go every day and they're just like working out the techniques. And I was thinking about it. It's like, it's giving them something tactile Yeah, because we're so starved for something tactile, uh, an analog, you know, I've been tempted to do exactly that or like boxing or yeah. something, uh, just, I mean, one, I'm lacking exercise like a like like a lot, but uh, two, just yeah, like more of that like in inner body experience instead yeah. of like all my skills being in the front of my in the front of my face, you know, in the yeah. front of my head. Like, yeah, yeah. I, uh, obviously, I can I can convert them to something that makes noise, but like right. you know, uh, just something that's that puts me in more of my full body. I think that would be that would be really cool. How long have you been doing that? Uh, not very long. So I, I don't want to pretend like I'm some like Muay Thai guy, but yeah. I, I, I went for a little while last, I went for a few months last year and then I got like uh, a hand injury from hammering symbols and I just asked the owner mm. if he could like delay my thing. So I'm, I'm about to start it back up. Very so. cool. 
Um, but I have, I have some buddies that are really into it and they're doing like the semi-professional thing. And, um, I think it's like something elemental. It's like, it get it gets back to like uh, who we are as people. It almost like connects us to our caveman ancestors, like where they had to fight to survive. And, uh, it's, it's fulfilling, you know, like, and I get that from symbol making just this like very heavy hammer, swinging it for hours and, and how hard it is and how sore my arm is at the end of a session. And yeah, I got to rest it. And like, I just love it. Like I, it, it just gives me um, a big old dose of uh, what is it? Serotonin or whatever the happy drug is that, that our brains that one or dopamine dopamine. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, that's what, that's where my like creative mind is very much in like this, space of like getting away from digital as much as I can, as much as I can feasibly do it. Um, and I'm, I'm going to do this thing, uh, at, you know, the public house in Winston. So we're starting like a weekly music thing. That's kind of like, I'm trying to figure out how to describe it because it's, I don't want it to sound like it's an open mic or a jam session. Like I want it to be a little bit more curated than that, but it's just, out of the effort just to like go somewhere, be with other musicians and just play music. Yeah. Like it could be jazz. It could be funk. It could be singer songwriter stuff. And we're going to, as it grows and develops, we're going to start maybe having like one Monday of the month is like, especially for singer songwriters. And then the next Monday is like a jazz improv session. And then the next one is like hip hop and you know, whatever, you know, it's, but, and, and I'm even approaching it. Like, I just don't even, I don't even care if it like quote unquote successful, if it like packs out, like I just want to do it. Man, you and myself and another guy I know are all interested in that same thing. And if we played our cards right and we maybe somewhat talk to each other, we we could probably have something go on like every week uh, of the month or something. We we should. Uh, There's a guy, you know, Charlie Hunter guitarist, Charlie Hunter. Is that, is that old man Hunter's son? Old Man Hunter. I don't know who Old Man Hunter is. <laughs> it's just his last name. Old uh, Man Hunter. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I sure don't is, son. Old Man Hunter. Uh, yeah, so Char- Charlie Hunter is like a ridiculously talented guitarist, and he does like this. He plays a hybrid guitar, so it's just a brand, and it's like literally bass and guitar at the same time, hmm. which if you say that, you know, a lot of musicians will go, okay, it's like gimmicky or whatever, but this this dude like grooves his butt off. Yeah is playing like the funkiest stuff on bass and guitar. He's doing it all at the same time. He was on, um, I think he was signed to blue note. Hmm. I think back in the day, but he used to live in New York and like has played with all of the greats and just knows everyone. But he, he moved to Greensboro. Oh, I did. I heard about yeah. this. Yeah. He moved to Greensboro and he's just like, he's like re- built this, this music scene and he's inspired people to do exactly what we're talking about. And I, I feel very inspired by him too. And, um, they have this spot called the flat iron in Greensboro where they do music almost every night. And it's, it's just something different almost every night. Yeah. Uh, a great drummer by the name of George Slupik just moved from Memphis. And so him and Charlie are doing like a duo gig there every, you know, one week, well, one night every week. And, that's inspired me to be like, well, we should do that here in Winston, you know, yep. like just get musicians together. And there's something about like going into something like that and just not caring if anyone likes it, you know, yeah. you just get in there with the mentality, like we're going to do something real 
with other people, musicians, and we're going to take it seriously. And honestly, like the, the finances come, the people come, you know, cause people feed off of that kind of energy when yeah. it's not so like, uh, it's not like so performancey. It's like, these are musicians having like a moment. I, I was listening to the episode you had with John Ray, uh, the other day as well. And John talking about improvisation and how it's dangerous. Like mm-hmm. you're on like the edge and sometimes it sounds like garbage. And yeah. then other times you play things you could never think up in a million years. Um, yeah, man, I'm super inspired and excited by that kind of stuff. I am too. And specifically that like, we need something to happen already in Winston. And I think, yeah. I think orienting it that way, like this is, this is for musicians among each other and who cares if there's an audience or not. Like yeah. clearly we have had a hard time and me as an act, I've, I mean, I've been playing here for like eight years or something. Yeah. And it's, it's surprising when I see me, when I see like other acts that are, that are well established, uh, sort of like, not really there's there's like not an audience to connect to right now yeah and it's not that i am entitled to one by any stretch of the imagination it's just like i just remember I, it used to be that people came to to shows that i did mm-hmm. with other acts and it was just like it it's it felt like the part that part of the community was hungry for mu- music to go on in their community so i was one of many that they would try out and go see I, lately it's been a tough struggle and i just think okay my answer to that might be instead of worrying about it from that angle, I'll do this with musicians. Like that's the whole yeah. thing. That's why, that's why yeah. you're here as part of the reason you're here and why John and all these people have been around. Cause I'm trying to connect more with like my community of fellow creators yeah. more than anything right now. That's, and that's the idea we need to talk about and talk after this. Like, yeah. that's the idea. It's like, what if it was geared for musicians? Like you show up, show up with your horn and we'll, we'll be playing and then you come up and like, just we'll do something. If you yeah. want to play a song that you've written, if you want to like do a completely free improvisation and we'll do that. And I, and I think that's like, like you said, people are like musicians are hungry for that. Yes. And I, and I've learned, you know, uh, I've learned that like just waiting around for someone to ask me to play is like not the greatest thing to do because <laughs> yeah. I'll be waiting a long time. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and I, I you know, I, I get to, I get to play, uh, fairly often, but like obviously not as much as I would like. And mm-hmm. the stuff I really connect with is like those. Uh, honestly, I'm I'm a lot like John, and just like I I like I love improvisation, and like especially like f- not free improvisation, but just you really don't know what's going to happen, and yeah. you kind of just embrace this very uncomfortable place because like so many cool things can happen when you uh, let your guard down a little bit. Man, I'm starting to really see like a relationship with like what John, what John was describing in that episode about Mm. like what you bring to the table and how it's present there. Like it never has been more clear to me, I don't think. And I had a really interesting experience that, that nobody else got to see other than he and I, but at the end of that, we, we were like, he was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's make some music. Let's hit record. Let's do some stuff. And we did. And it was so, interesting because he just like he was describing he just started playing he was like you just follow me and I just knew like I could tell immediately I had this block based in the fact that I was kind of like yeah I really admired John Ray and like I I really just like have have, he's been such a 
he's been just just this dude that I've just like watched make music for such a long time, and it's just yeah. like it. I had that block there, couldn't get by it, kept having to like stop wherever we were and just acknowledge the fact that I couldn't get there. Yeah. And then like by the third one we laid down, I finally started to get somewhere, but the whole time I was like more aware of every little thing, every little imperfection than I ever yeah. had been while playing drums. I play those yeah. things all I play them every day. Yeah. I I'm not embarrassed about playing drums, but for some reason in that moment being aware of nice. that vulnerability it like shut my abilities down yeah. it was crazy i know that feeling i've feel i've felt it many times yeah i actually think back on when i was in college we uh we had this little monday night jam session jazz jam session at, at the uh, coffee shop in the student union and when we started it uh there was like n no one came and it was like five people would be in there and we'd be up on the stage like playing jazz standards. And then we caught like a, it was like we caught a moment in time for all of us where we were able to let go of judgment. Mm. And that was really what it was. It was like, I realized, I had this moment of realizing like how judgmental I was over myself mm -hmm. yeah. and over the other musicians and how they were and like thinking about how judgmental they must be towards me. If I'm this judgmental towards myself, like how much more so are they judging me? And like we caught a moment in time where we just let all of that go. And it was like, we weren't good. Like we were college age musicians that grew up in Boone or like somewhere in North Carolina trying to play jazz, like yeah. not our culture, not our uh, lived experience, but something we were really passionate about, you know? And like, so like technically it wasn't good, but we were exploring. And before you know it, like a hundred people would show up every Monday. Huh. It would just be packed. And people loved it. Like they, they loved seeing people on the edge almost. Mm -hmm. Like it felt like very on the edge. I, we had a couple professors come and give us some kind of like scathing criticism of like how bad we were. Um, you know, and it, it was just they were coming at it from like an educational standpoint. Like, hey, you need to like honor the tradition a little bit more than you are. You're playing Autumn Leaves as a funk tune. Like you shouldn't mm -hmm. be doing that or, or whatever it was, you know. Uh, but it, it connected with people. And so I, I leaving college for like a decade, I would just look back on that. And like, that really was the, the ultimate musical experience I ever had mm. until I started to realize like, Oh, like it, it has to do with judgment. It has to do with how judgmental I am over myself. And so I started to like try to practice that. And that's something I'm still working on is just like practicing letting go of judgment over myself and being in a moment, even if I'm with someone and playing with someone like John, which I get to play with him in a band I'm in called Victoria, Victoria. And oh, you're in Victoria, Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. I even know that. Yeah. Chazare and I both play drums with Victoria, Victoria. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I mean, I love Victoria, Victoria. She's a, Tori's music is an ama amazing songwriter. Her new album is going to be so stellar. Charlie Hunter actually produced it and, oh, and very like cool. added his whole thing to it. So it's just, it's going to be awesome. But getting to play with John, it's like I, I start to realize those moments come, those thoughts come into my brain of like, oh, it's John Ray. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I go back to practicing, like letting go of that judgment, you know, yeah. um, I want to get, I want to get even better at it. And, and that's the kind of thing I'm talking about with just, it's, we just got to start it and just yeah. do it, you know, I'm into it, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I notice that realm for me as in like when I'm playing drums and that's, that's where I'm an instrumentalist and I'm, I'm fine with guitar, but guitar is like 
that space and writing songs, I lead, uh, like I, I have people play with me, uh, mm. but it's just not the same yeah. thing. Cause I, it feels like that's my world. The songs that I write, Yeah. but drums is where I have to communicate with other people. And that's yeah. where that judgment stuff comes in. And totally, I think, yeah, being in a position where I could like practice that more could only be, uh, yeah. That, yeah, I'd love that. It's good. Yeah. I remember uh, one of the things that helped me kind of reach an, another level, another deeper level with it was I got to sit in and play with Charlie some. Mm. And like Charlie is literally toured with some of my drum idols, like guys that are like top of the top, like seriously talented dudes. And then I would like every now and then I would go and sit in and play with Charlie. Mm. And like that was a moment where it was just like, I can't afford any judgment over myself. Like I have to, I have to be here. I yeah. have to be in the moment right now. I, I, it, I don't have a choice. Like it's either like crash and burn or go. Yeah. Uh, and then I started to f- find out like the way he approaches playing with a drummer. And he said this actually at one point, he was like, it doesn't matter what drummer I'm playing with. The drummer's right. Mm. And I was like, that's why it feels so good to play with you. <laughs> you know, cause I, I come in with my sense of rhythm, my, depth however deep or shallow it is of groove and he's over here like this you know he's so a, a well a deep well of music uh. and he instantly kind of latches onto whatever i'm doing and i've never felt like i've never felt that level of groove in my life playing with anyone than i have with charlie and it's it's been super inspiring and realizing Man. like he's not judgmental like he's, he's like, Oh cool. He, he's like looking at you as you're playing and just like kind of in it with you, like making eye contact. And I'm sitting there like, like try to like you know, break eye contact and like get in my own world. And he's kind of like, it's almost like he, he's like inviting me to like, no, be here in this moment with me. Yeah. It's awesome. I love yeah. that. Yeah, man. Um, one last question before yeah. we, I think we got to shut this down. Um, entrepreneurship are you glad that you like i don't know what your story is if you had options to like go down a different road but are you glad you went down a road where you got your own business like what has that meant for you it's been the like the most fulfilling thing in my life honestly it's been amazing like it's been a totally unexpected gift the people i get to meet the conversations i get to have like honestly there's an emphasis kind of to touch on the whole topic of religion one more time. Like there's this big emphasis on uh, evangelism in the Christian church and like this, this kind of talk about like sharing your faith with people. And I always found that like, you know, Christians are kind of insular and churches are kind of insular. And so they, they gather and they're kind of, you know, in their own little world with people that think the same way. And like something with, for, for me, one of the most fulfilling things for music and business has been getting out and encountering people that think a lot of different things. And like, I've had moments where I feel like, like deeply spiritual moments that had nothing to do with like faith, but they were deeply spiritual. Cause it was like, I was talking with someone connecting on a, on a level that was like, we would have never gotten here unless we had been friends for like six years, you know, like and music was the connection or my yep. business was the connection. And I've had conversations with guys that were in my shop that were like talking about how like they were really excited about whatever I was making them. And they were, and then all of a sudden before I knew it, they were talking about like 
yeah, I was an alcoholic and I was ready to kill myself and music brought me back. Mm. And like, it's heavy. Like I even feel it now, like the heaviness of that. Yeah. Like I can never reach that level with another person um, in any other avenue. So it's like, I, that, this is my, my avenue to kind of have these very deep spiritual connections with people that don't have to do with like, I'm not trying to convert anybody or like, you know, I'm not trying to convince anybody to come to my side. Like I'm getting to like have a human experience and connect and yeah. um, share in that common humanity with someone else that has a completely different life experience than me. Really, really love that. I really love that too, man. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no surprise to me that we were able to have like a easygoing comfort. Like I, uh, I don't know. I've enjoyed talking to you. Yeah. It's been a blast. Um, I truly hope honestly, like I, it's not worth saying perhaps, or maybe it's weak to say, but I hope nobody dismisses all the interesting stuff that you've had to say, or that I think we've tried to share together totally just in the name of like, right. They, they like, they, they, they don't hate all conservatives or they like this person. It's like, we got to get past this stuff at some point. I really feel a desperate need for us as a community to get past all this, like sort of like, finger pointing like what you yeah. were talking about and condemning other people and um yeah let's, let's focus on connection like it's, let's connect we, with we've people. got a lot more that that unites us than divides us i think yep for sure and art i i continue to say our art is i think the absolute best yeah. example of how that happens totally. so we're okay. gonna talk more and we're gonna do some stuff let's I, do it i believe oh so. yeah timothy thank you for coming on the thank uh so the podcast much. man I appreciate, appreciate it. it really appreciate it all right mm-hmm.